0: After listening to the proclamation of God's word, we'll sing together from Psalm one, one and two. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, here's something that I think many of us, most of us, struggle with. Here's a Bible. We confess this book, the Bible, God's Word, to be the living Word of God. By that we mean to say that it's much more than just a regular book, it's much more than just ink on a page. The words bring life to the reader and hearer through the working of the Holy Spirit. By that we mean that the one who is by nature dead in sin knows upon hearing the word, upon meditating on the word, that he has been redeemed in Christ and so instead of remaining in the dominion of darkness, has been transferred, praise God for this, to the Kingdom of Christ. That is what we learn from the Word. This is the life-giving Word of God. God's gracious gift to us, real and life-giving. But here's the struggle. How does this, the Word, connect with my Wednesday afternoon and my Friday morning for example, beyond assuring me on that Wednesday and Friday that my sins are forgiven and that I am indeed right with God. Here's the struggle, how practically does this word, should this word actually shape my living? Here's the struggle, my Christian walk How is it, in practical terms, actually changed and shaped by the Word? To say it a little differently, how does the Bible make a difference, how does the Word make a difference to the time I spend hanging around with my friends? How realistically does God's Word transform my everyday walk? that that is a very real and ever-present struggle for the Christian is precisely the reason why Paul is praying the way that he does in our text. In verses 3 through 8, Paul had thanked God for the fact that the Colossian Christians were a faithful group of believers. They had heard the word and it had borne fruit among them. But as we know, as we learn when we look at those verses... What is a struggle for us was a struggle also for them in Colossae. They discovered too that living the Christian life, the practical application of the word to the daily grind of life was not always so easy. More specifically, having put away that life, and this is chapter 3 verse 5, having put away that life of sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, having put that way of life away, they were finding it difficult to maintain their purity. They were finding it difficult, as is clear from this letter, finding it difficult to maintain that Christian walk in all areas of their life. And to make matters even more difficult for them, there were those in the congregation who were suggesting some alternative forms of what they were calling knowledge, which were supposed to help the struggler overcome those very real but sinful desires of the flesh. And there were others, to again make matters worse, these were converts from Judaism, among them who were part of that church, they began to suggest that perhaps they should implement some of the Old Testament rites and rituals as a way to help those Christians maintain their focus on, Christ, on, on God. Their hope was that by maintaining that focus on those Old Testament rituals, the believers there in Colossae would be better equipped to remain pure, keep their focus on God. And it's in that situation that Paul writes this letter and prays this prayer in our text. He knows, and he makes it very clear in this letter, that Christ is all sufficient for all of life also for the life of Christian obedience. Christ is sufficient not just for the knowledge of salvation, yes, I am saved in Christ, but Christ is also sufficient for the application of that salvation, how now do I live my life? Paul knows that real, authentic, wholehearted Christian living is possible by the grace of God, but only when one is filled with the knowledge of God's will. Hence, he prays this very specific prayer for the Colossian Christians. I'm bringing God's Word this morning using this theme. Paul prays that the Christians of Colossae be filled with the knowledge of God's will. We're going to consider two things this morning. First of all, the content of this knowledge and secondly, the goal of this knowledge. So first of all, the content of this knowledge of God's will. As far as we can tell from the New Testament, Paul never actually went to Colossa. Yet it's clear from reading this letter that he had a real heart for these brothers and sisters. They'd heard the gospel that he preached, that he proclaimed from one of their members, Apaphras, who had heard Paul preach that gospel in Ephesus, about a hundred miles away. In turn, Paul had heard about the life of the congregation there in Colossa from a gentleman by the name of Tychicus and possibly also from Onesimus. Both of those men are mentioned in chapter 4 of this letter. From them, Paul had learned that there is both much to be thankful for there in that congregation of Colossa, but at the same time there is a lot of reason for prayer for those brothers and sisters in the faith. And brothers and sisters, isn't that true for every congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, including your own? There's always the reality of what we have in Christ, we call that, if you like, the already, what we already have. But also, at the same time, the reality of what we don't yet have, what we have not yet attained, and that's that full obedience, that's that perfection. And that's why, for Paul, thanksgiving and petition go always hand in hand. We read in verse 3 we read it together we always here's the thanksgiving we always thank god the father of our lord jesus christ when we pray for you there is lots of reason for thankfulness also there in in Colossae. he's constantly thanking god for the fact that the gospel had taken root in their lives that the gospel was having an impact amongst those members too it's huge reason for thankfulness that the good news of jesus christ Is bearing fruit and is growing verse 5 but at the same time and brothers and sisters this is is no contradiction at all this this is also a reality on this side of eternity at the same time we have our text in which paul shares with them his constant prayer again there's no contradiction between the thanksgiving and this prayer the prayer of our text and so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding always giving thanks for that fellowship in Colossae, but also at the same time never ceasing to pray for them those two are to be constants in the life of the christian because what we have in christ is to have an impact on how we live for christ We thank God, of course, we do that too, brothers and sisters, we thank God for what we have in Christ, even as we are constantly praying for the Spirit to work in us so that we live more and more for Christ. And it's that desire to live more for Christ that gives rise to this petition. See, Paul knows that for the Colossian Christians, the Holy Spirit knows that's true for us too. To make our walk match our confession well you tell me is that easy you know the answer i know the answer it's not and it wasn't easy for the colossian christians either as we said there were those in Colossa who were convinced that christ was not sufficient for the living part of the gospel the living out of the gospel yes they said well christ saved you he he redeemed you but when it comes to living out that christian life on the mondays and the tuesdays and the wednesdays well that takes more than christ that's what the colossian christians were being told and in so many ways brothers and sisters isn't that our struggle too we have the gospel we have this wonderful book the the word the living word of god but how now how concretely is that sufficient the word i mean in my struggle against sin how does this word, how does it actually, realistically, concretely transform and change my behavior? How do I live out of this, or how do I live this out in every area of my life? I want to give you just one example. I could have picked anyone I just picked this one to make clear what I mean. We confess. And I pray that we all do that here this morning. We confess and embrace the reality that we have been redeemed. And brothers and sisters, absolutely praise God for that. It's His grace. But how does that reality of my redemption, how does the reality of who I am in Christ, how does that, for example, shape my choice of music? And again, I said just one example. For how many of us is our choice of music, think about this for yourself, disconnected to one degree or another from the reality of our redemption in Christ? Or if I can be a little blunt this morning, who here listens to crap music? You see the struggle how do i get here it is how do i get to that point where i want my choice of music to be influenced no to be determined by the reality of the gospel in my life how do i get to the point where i actually desire where i actually want not just force myself to conform but actually want from my heart to make my music choice absolutely subservient to this word how do i get to that point well in answering that question we have to notice what paul is praying here in our text he's not praying that the holy spirit notice that he's not praying not praying that the holy spirit work in them so that they overcome the sinful desires and the sins that he's mentioned in verse 3 in chapter 3 he does not pray in our text lord help them to stand firm in their walk with you For us, using our example, it's not to pray in the first place, Lord, help me to get rid of my less-than-God-honoring music. Of course, Paul will address those things later in the letter, the actual sins, the actual struggles. He'll get to that. He will urge them, chapter 2 and following, or the second half of 2 and following, he will urge them to seek the things that are above where Christ is and not the things that are on earth. That's the beginning of chapter 3. That's going to come. But first, first he is in constant prayer for something else. Something that must come first, has to come first, if the Colossian Christians are going to be able to apply the gospel in their daily life. And i put it to you, brothers and sisters, this morning, that this is partly our struggle today as we seek to live a life of thankful obedience that fully conforms to God's word it's our struggle too it's our struggle too to go back to the example in making our music library completely subservient to Christ's Lordship the reason for our struggle in part at least is this that in our prayer life what ought to be first isn't always first what ought to be our constant prayer isn't always our constant prayer And if it is not our constant prayer, then it's often not our constant focus either. So what ought to be first in prayer? What is the Holy Spirit teaching us in our text? What is it that Paul says first is his constant prayer for the Colossian Christians? What does he ask God to do for them as of utmost importance? Well, Paul prays asking, Verse 9, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Brothers and sisters, that needs to be our first and primary petition, too, as we work at cleaning up our music collection, as we work at cleaning up our whole life for Christ. It's got to begin, brothers and sisters, with that petition. And as we've come to expect from Paul, he's choosing his words very carefully. I want you to notice the passive here that you may be filled be filled be filled paul knows that what he's about to ask of god that they may be filled has to come from god this knowledge of god's will does not come apart from god actually granting it to them he asked that god grant them that they be filled with the knowledge of his will verse 9 of our text again and Paul's word choice here is very deliberate. Others were promoting a form of knowledge, homegrown, earthly knowledge that they said would have value for stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That's chapter 2, verse 23. But Paul's prayer is that his readers would be filled with a different, a far superior, altogether sufficient form of knowledge, the knowledge of God's will. Understand here, brothers and sisters, and listen, this is important. Actually, this point is critical in terms of learning to pray right so that we might also live right. Understand here that Paul is not in the first place asking God to fill them with a knowledge of his commandments. Paul isn't praying here, Lord, fill them up to the brim with a knowledge of what you demand in your law. That's not what Paul is praying here. Yes, to be sure, Scripture does use the phrase the will of God to refer to God's commandments sometimes. But here, Paul's prayer is that God fill his readers with the knowledge of his will, as in his design and his plan, his will to redeem the world, and specifically his plan and will to redeem sinners. I said this is important, and it is. This is. A knowledge of god's will this is a knowledge of his grace his truth specifically in the person and work of christ his son being filled with the knowledge of this will of god is to be filled not just with head knowledge but also a a heart knowledge of what god has done and is still doing through christ it is to confess with the head and the heart this and this is verses 15 through 20 you could follow it through that all things were created through christ and for christ to be filled with this knowledge of god's will is to confess that christ holds everything together to be filled with the knowledge of this will is to confess that he christ is the preeminent one in whom all the fullness of god dwells somewhere in verse 15 through 20. It is to know that through Christ, God is reconciling to himself all things, making peace by his blood on the cross. And if the grandeur and wonder of that isn't enough, Paul is also praying here that God filled the Colossian Christians to know with their head and with their heart this, and this is verse 21 through 23, that you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul's prayer in our text is in the first place not a prayer that the Colossian Christians know God's commandments better. Rather this is a prayer that they know God better. Understand the difference. This is to pray, Lord God, please fill me with a knowledge of you and who you are and all that you've done in Christ. At this point, it's good that we just stop and ask ourselves a question. Is this, ask it for yourself, is this your most urgent and constant prayer you struggle with sin i do too you struggle to know how to connect his living word to your everyday life you wonder how do i take every aspect of my life completely captive for him It begins, brothers and sisters, with this petition, Lord, fill me as only you can. Fill me to absolutely full with the knowledge of your will. Lord, cause me to be absolutely overwhelmed with your plans for the universe. Your plan for me, a sinner, too. Lord, help me to know in my head, but help me to believe in my heart as well how great your plan is, how majestic your work in Christ my Saviour is. Lord, help me, help me to grasp that, help me to understand that, and Lord, help me to embrace it in faith. But then, when I pray that, something else needs to have my attention too. Because there is a clearly implied exhortation, encouragement if you like. There's a clearly implied encouragement here for the Colossian Christians and for each of us sitting here this morning too. There is something that we need to do. In asking God to fill the Christians of Colossae with His will, and writing to them that that's what he's asking from god paul is clearly telling them that they have a responsibility to do something and that is then to be busy with this gospel he's saying if you like i pray this for you but that clearly implies that something is required of you as well the first thing we must do if we really desire to make our whole life to become increasingly Christ-like, is yes, to pray this petition. Lord, fill me with the knowledge of your will. That's first. But then praying that, we have to. Yes, it's an obligation on each and every one of us. We have to do something about it, something with it. And this cannot be stressed enough because how is it that the Holy Spirit fills us with this knowledge of God's will? Well, he does that by means of something. You know the answer, the word, the living word of God. You cannot expect, brothers and sisters, let's be blunt about it, we cannot expect to make changes in our lives over here based on God's word. We cannot expect that God's word transforms the way that we live our life over here if we don't spend time in here so brothers and sisters you cannot pray this petition in verse 9 but not follow through with a constant study of searching in, digging into meditating on the scriptures because it's here that God reveals that perfect will that you're praying for to us See, if you pray this petition without spending time in the word, you're being dishonest. You're then praying for something that you don't really want, at least don't want enough to put in the effort. And I realize, brothers and sisters, that's straightforward, but that's what Scripture is saying to us, the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And that that is so important is made clear in our text too, because. It's when God answers this petition that we be filled with the knowledge of his will, that we also gain that spiritual wisdom and understanding that our text speaks about. in Verse 9, Paul means this, knowing God's will for the universe, understanding the wonder as best we're able of God's plan for the salvation of sinners also means that one grows in wisdom and understanding. And doesn't that make sense? Because what does the author of Proverbs reveal about wisdom? That wisdom starts and finishes with the fear of the Lord. That is with honouring him, revering him for who he is and all that he has done and is doing. And what stands, brothers and sisters, you know the answer to this, what stands at the heart of the gospel of what God has done and is doing in redeeming the world? It's Jesus Christ. As 1 corinthians 1 verse 30 says god made jesus christ our wisdom same word as in our text and paul writes of christ in chapter 2 verse 2 and 3 he writes this that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of god's mystery which is christ and listen to this in whom are hidden in christ are hidden all the treasures Of wisdom and knowledge. Paul's point in those texts and in our text this morning is this the more each of us grows in the knowledge of God's will, the greater our fear of the Lord, then also the greater our wisdom and our understanding, and so also the greater our understanding of His will for our lives. In Romans 12, verse 2. Paul says it very very succinctly. He says there, don't be conformed to this world. Perhaps you remember the text. What comes next? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, having your mind transformed by this means you get to know how to live for him. Having your mind and your heart transformed by this word means that you learn to discern what's good, what's acceptable, and what's not. It is, in short, to grow in wisdom and understanding. We need to pray for that, brothers and sisters. We need to pray that we be filled with God's spirit, so that we might grow in the knowledge of his will as we increasingly study his word and so that we might grow in that wisdom and that knowledge that allows us to live for him with that we come to our second point maybe for you there is still that lingering question this one how does how does being filled with the knowledge of god's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding how does praying that petition and following that petition by a regular reading and studying of God's Word, how does that actually then bring about change in my life? How does, here's the question, how does the transformation here and here, how does it actually then end up changing the way that I live? What about praying this petition and following through with the deep study of the Word, will make me actually want to go through, to go back to that example, my music library and throw out all the stuff that should be thrown out, or deleting it? What about praying this petition and doing a study of God's Word regularly and deliberately will make me seek the help that I need when struggling with a particular sin in my life, like an addiction, alcohol, porn, drugs, whatever? To go back to the question from the beginning. What is it about what we already have in Christ that increasingly makes us live more for Christ in every area of our lives? And brothers and sisters, I want to start with this. Make no mistake, it will. It will. What we have in Christ as we increasingly are filled with the knowledge of His will, will Change the way we live. First part of verse 10 of our text. Paul is praying that the Colossian Christians be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Verse 10 So as to walk. Here's the consequence of God answering this petition so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. In relation to those other ways of overcoming the desires of the flesh that other members of the congregation were pushing. Paul says in chapter 2 verse 23 that they look like wisdom but they're absolutely no use to you to overcome your sin. But by contrast, being filled with the knowledge of God's will does, does indeed have value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh and that's exactly why Paul prays the way he does here in verse 10. Think about it. What a thing to be able to pray. You, I, we can pray this too. Lord, we pray then, Lord, fill me, fill me to absolutely full with the knowledge of your will. Why? So that, Lord, I might walk in a manner that's worthy of you, fully pleasing to you. We're asking God then to work in us a way of life, a walk of life that's worthy of our Lord and our Master, See, walk here in Scripture is a word used to describe our daily life of obedience. It is our day-to-day, our hour-by-hour, our moment-by-moment life before our Master. Our walk is what we do because of what is in our hearts. Lord, we're praying, work in me. Please work in me a way of life. Make my life, my moments, my hours, my days, my every moment... Yes, my music selection, my usage of my spare time, whatever it is, make every single moment one that my Master Jesus would be proud of. One that's fully pleasing to Him. What a thing to be able to pray. And brothers and sisters, this is is not a moment to get discouraged because maybe you're saying to yourself, right now i don't know perhaps you're saying well this all sounds fine there's no way that's going to happen in my life i just can't imagine well we need to stop telling ourselves that because it is going to happen one day in eternity each one of us by god's grace will have that perfection and in the meantime do we give up on trying no that remains our goal more it must be our goal because we know the gospel of our redemption, we know and confess in faith that when in a moment of weakness, and we all have them, I have sinned, I can again go to him, my Savior, go back to what I know I have and receive his gracious forgiveness. And as I experience the wonder of that forgiveness, what a relief Then I'm all the more determined out of thankfulness to make my next moment one that master Jesus would be proud of. See, what Paul is praying for here is that an ongoing transformation happens among the Colossian Christians. A transformation that begins with the head and the heart but that then also inevitably carries over to daily life. Ensuring that their lives too are lived worthy of Christ. brothers and sisters, this can increasingly happen for each and every one of us. Do you believe that? You can, because it's a promise. Think of Psalm 1, which we hope to sing after the sermon. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but delights in the law of the Lord. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. That, brothers and sisters, is not just God's wish for you. That's God's promise to you. Pray the prayer of our text. Don't spend time in the counsel of the wicked, and we all know what that means. We all know what that means. Instead, drink deeply at the fountain of the knowledge of the will of God. And then notice the by grace transformation that happens in your life too, in your daily walk see living the christian life can never be a list of do this and don't do that do this don't do that it has to be and by grace it will be a doing that flows out of a heart and a mind transformation a well-known theologian wrote this and i quote a godly life is lived out of an astonished heart a heart that is astonished at grace. We go to the Bible to be astonished, to be amazed at God and Christ and the cross and grace and the gospel, end of quote. And And brothers and sisters, young people included, of course, the promise of God is that ongoing head and heart transformation will bear fruit, and to go on with verse 10, it will make us increase in the knowledge of God. It will cause us to be strengthened in the faith. It will cause us to stand firm in the long haul even as we live our lives in thankful obedience. See, our doing flows from out of who we are. And if who we are is being transformed by who God is as he's revealed it to us in his word if who we are is being transformed by what Christ has done for us and is doing for us then that transformation also happens when you're in the mall or sitting behind your computer or playing a game of soccer or when you're at school it happens in the moments the days of your life. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged here by the Holy Spirit's word to you this morning. This here isn't some sort of magic formula. It's not something you put on a bumper sticker. It's not something you type out in your computer and paste to your fridge. This is about about prayer about praying for God to fill us with the knowledge of His will. This is something that as He fills us with that knowledge, we'll grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is about allowing the Spirit to work in us. How? By spending time here in His Word. It's about then rejoicing too. When you you witness firsthand in your own life, the Spirit is at work in my life too, in my family, in my community. It is to simply pray for the presence of the Spirit to live Christ-like, a life fully pleasing to Him. Amen.